Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Welcome once again to Crosspoint. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love to get to do so at some point this morning. I just wanted to remind you real quick before we jump in that we're going to be taking some time at the end of the message to uh, have a little bit of like real-time discussion and question and answer and stuff like that. And so we're using this platform Slido in case you weren't here at the very beginning of uh, our service where Brett talked through it. You can just scan that code, submit your questions, uh, be sure to check on it from time to time as I'm talking, because uh, if you see something that you want addressed, you can upvote it to the top. I work with teenagers, so I'm used to everyone looking at their phone the whole time that I'm talking to them, so you're good to go. So be sure to check out that, um, and I think it's a really awesome way for us to have a little bit of a conversation rather than just someone talking at you all morning. This is a great, great way to do that. I'm excited to do it. Um, before we get into the actual uh, like scripture that we're going to look at today, I just want to acknowledge, man, I don't know how many of us were here last Sunday, but that was an incredibly significant morning, right? That was a really, really cool morning in the life of our church. And uh, we got to hear all kinds of stories of lives that have been transformed and people who uh, have decided to pledge their allegiance to Jesus. And we saw some uh, planned ones and we saw a bunch of spontaneous ones, which was awesome. And I am so convinced that last week was really significant. And here's why I'm so convinced. I didn't get to be here last Sunday. And I was so bummed. I had to take this kind of like emergency trip to Wyoming. But I sat down in my parents' basement and I watched the live stream. And I knew something significant was happening here because I could tell over live stream. And if you can tell something over live stream, something significant is going on, you know, because it is hard to translate onto live stream. I'm glad we have it. I'm glad that we have access to it. But man, emotion doesn't translate over live stream. And so it makes me feel like it was last week was not an emotional high in the life of our church, it was a real move of the Spirit. And it seemed very, very obvious that that was the case to me, even in a different state, even watching through a computer screen. And so that is like so, so incredible. And uh, it almost feels like, well, how do you follow up something like that? <laughs> like, what do you even talk about after experiencing something like that last week? And not just last week, but what the Spirit has been doing for a while in our church that last week was just a great focal point for. But I think it's really cool that, surprise, surprise, it's like the Holy Spirit knew what was going to happen because what we're going to talk about today, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, you could not have planned a better follow-up to what we experienced last week in the life of our church. Um, we had planned this a while ago. We even talked through what, how we were, how we were going to approach this scripture. You could not have asked for a better follow-up. It's cool as we track like the story of Acts, there are some like interesting similarities of, of the story of Acts and like what we're going through as a church here in real time. The passage just before the one we're going to talk about this morning, uh, we see the Spirit being poured out on this group of people in a powerful way. And we see Peter get up and, and give this message, give the story of Jesus, starting all the way back in Genesis, helping, helping these people understand who Jesus was and what he wanted for their life. And he it gives out this call to repent from their sin and their own way of doing things. And people accept that call. They respond to that call and they repent and they turn their life toward Jesus and, and they be be 
become baptized as well, that public kind of declaration in front of everybody. There was something like 3,000 people that, that were added to God's family that day as a result of that time. And as we look at last week, I mean, there weren't like 3,000 people, but we got to see the exact same thing happen. We saw and heard stories of people turning from who they were to who God called them to be. We saw people repent of their sin and literally be baptized. <laughs> like it is pretty, it's running pretty close to parallel, right? And so it, it was an incredibly, incredibly encouraging thing to get to see. And these Christians, after this moment in the book of Acts, where all these people repented and were baptized, they were left at this crossroads where they might be wondering, okay, where do we go for he from here? And maybe some of us kind of felt that last week or have felt that lately, where we see God doing these kind of powerful things that really only God could do. And we're kind of left asking the question, okay, what do, what do we do next? My mind kind of jumps to Peter in the gospels when Jesus kind of takes him up on the mountain and, said, and he's does the transfiguration, he shows himself in his full glory, and Peter's, he doesn't know what to do with that. His only solution is, should we like build a tent up here and just stay up here? Like this is, I don't even know how to move forward from this. And sometimes there are moments in our lives where the spirit does a powerful work and we're left kind of asking that question, what do we do? Do we stay here? How do we move forward? Things have changed. And I think that many of us are kind of experiencing that and they did as well in the book of Acts. The awesome thing is, God, in his grace to us, he lays out exactly what we're supposed to do. Like, he lays out here as clear as day for us, in the next passage of scripture, the one we're going to look at today, exactly what our next steps forward should be when we see the Spirit moving in power in our lives. And so we're going to read Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. I'm going to read through the whole thing once, and then we'll go back, we'll kind of pick it apart, but I want to have the big context here, okay? So verse 42, it says this, and they devoted themselves, this is right after this awesome outpouring of the Holy Spirit and all these people repenting and being baptized. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Then they were selling, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So this is a pretty like well-known passage of scripture. You might have heard it talked about before. And it's a beautiful picture of, a bunch, of how a bunch of people are choosing to treat each other, right? Like you'd throw this down in front of someone who could not care less about Jesus, maybe hates Jesus, and they would read this account and say, that's pretty cool. People are taking care of each other. They are all of like one heart and mind. Like that's a pretty cool picture of community. I think anyone would say that. And for, for a long, long time, you know, we... In the church world, we as followers of Jesus, we've been trying to figure out, okay, then what does this look like for us? If this is how the early church was functioning, how can we function in a similar matter? And how I had all, I came to this realization this, this last week, how I have always read this passage was uh, I would read... I would read this passage and I would see these people devoting themselves to these few things and I would always look at it as, okay, you have to do A, B, C, and D and then this outcome will happen. It was like a formula in my mind. 
Like, I, I would read this and think, okay, the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. They did those four things. They checked those four boxes, and then the Spirit of God is going to move. The Lord added to their number day by day those were being saved. And I don't think that's necessarily a thousand percent for sure, not at all part of the mix. I do think as we listen more and more to what Jesus says and we are obedient to him, it does snowball. Like as we listen to him, he moves. And as we respond to his movement and listen to him more, then he moves more. It, it's this thing that continues to grow. But I, I came to this realization, I think that I've been reading this passage backwards. I have been so convinced that you do these things to see a move of God produced in your life. But I think the reality is that it's the exact opposite. This isn't the story of a bunch of followers of Jesus devoting themselves to a certain set of behaviors. And then because they committed themselves to those behaviors, then the Holy Spirit showed up. What do we actually see happen in the story? We see the Spirit pour out on these people when all they've done up to this point was chosen to follow Jesus, and they were learning about submitting to the Spirit. Up to this point, that's really all they had going for them. But the Spirit in God's grace was poured out on these people, and this is what was produced in the aftermath. I think kind of a helpful way, at least it's been helpful for me, that as we look at this, is what we just read is the continuous long-term responses of these people to the work of the Spirit. What we just read was the continued long-term responses of people who are willing to follow the Spirit's lead. We see some immediate response to the Spirit at work. We see people repent. We see people be baptized. Those are all kind of immediate responses to what the Spirit was doing. And then the next thing that we read in the passage is something that happens over a course of time and continued to happen. Why bring all this up? I think that this is so significant for where we're at right now in real time as a church because it is really easy, I think, to get excited, really jazzed about a Sunday like last week and be so excited about all the immediate response to the work of the Spirit and then never be willing to take the next step forward. We see it all the time in the life of the church. It's some, it's some baggage that we have a really hard time shaking off. I know I've experienced it so much in my life. Probably the best example that I can think of is something that's on my mind a lot right now because it's coming up next week is we're taking a bunch of middle and high schoolers to camp. Maybe a lot of you have gone to camps before. And without fail, you know, you go to camp and the Holy Spirit moves in a powerful way almost every single time. And students go and they are confronted with who they are and who God wants and who God wants them to be and they make these declarations and they make these very real decisions to follow Jesus to follow him well to leave behind the distractions to leave behind the things that are weighing them down and it's this real immediate response to what the spirit is doing but unfortunately the story oftentimes ends up going they come home and life gets back to normal and life hits hard sometimes, and week, month, maybe a year down the road, they're right back where they were. And I used to think, it's a little secret into my cynical brain, I used to think that maybe it wasn't real for them. 
it was real for some people, and, and some people stuck it out, and that's awesome. But there was a little part of me that was asking the question, is this just, is the conditions just perfect at camp? Is that why people seem to respond so much to the gospel and to the Spirit's movement? Like, the lights are good, the band is good, the speaker better be good because we're paying them to come do this, you know? Like, like, they have a whole bunch of time to dissect, and they don't have all their distractions. Is this just something that is, like, emotional frenzy? And that's why it has no substance. But I've actually come to the conclusion, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's the problem. I think the Spirit moves in situations like that. I think the Spirit moved last week and has been moving. And I think that there's a lot of students that I've taken to camp, and I've experienced this myself as well, that make the immediate response to the Spirit. They repent. Some of them even come back and get baptized. There's an immediate response, but where the disconnect is, is there's not a continued long-term response to what the Spirit is doing in their life. And I think it would be a total shame. It would be an absolute tragedy for us to look back at last week, two, three, four weeks down the road, six months down the road, we saw some immediate response to the Spirit moving, but we recognize that where we're at now, we have not had the continuous response to what the Spirit is doing. I believe that what God is doing in us and in this church right now, it will not allow us to be a flash in the pan. We cannot be a church. We can't. We can't do this. Can't be a church that experiences the Holy Spirit in a powerful way and then just gets back to normal. We cannot settle for that. Because that is not a church that is faithful. That is not a church that is continuously obedient. It's not a church that will bring any kind of effectiveness to the kingdom. And it cannot be us. We cannot settle for that, but the temptation might be strong. So many of us, maybe we find ourselves in this place where we are tuning our hearts to hear the Spirit. We have been practicing listening to the Spirit so that we can recognize His voice and what He's doing, and we are becoming more aware of what He's doing. And it's powerful, and it's beautiful, and it changes things. And so we find ourselves asking the question, okay, then what's next? Luke lays out exactly what was next for these early followers of Jesus. And to be really honest, I don't think much has changed for us today. We see in this passage of Scripture as a long-term response to the work of the Spirit in their lives, we see a devotion, an obsession, a life-disrupting commitment to four things that Luke lays out. These are four characteristics of the early church. These are things they devoted themselves to. And I think these are the things we must, as a church, devote ourselves to as well. We're going to run through them kind of quick because at the end we'll have time to kind of dig in maybe more practically but uh, I think these are the things that our life as a church has to be about. And Luke does this great uh, literary structure where he'll, he lays out all four things at the very first sentence, but then the rest of the verses kind of connect back to each one of the things that these people devoted themselves to. So we'll jump back and forth a little bit, but you'll see how it works. The first thing that Luke lays out is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? Story of Jesus. We got an example of it just the the passage just before, where Peter talked through the story of Jesus. Even though it started way, way before the man Jesus was born, it is the story of Jesus. That's what they wrapped their whole life around. But not just hearing about the story of Jesus. In verse 43, it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They didn't just talk the talk, they also 
walked the walk. And maybe a succinct way of saying it is that this group of Jesus followers, they wrapped their whole lives around the word and the works of God. It was a regular, regular part of their interactions. As we continue in our obedience to God, one of our long-term responses must be a love, a devotion for God's word and what he is doing in the world through people who love him. We've never had more availability to know about who God is, about his word, to understand it clearly. This is something these early Christians with very little resource were very committed to. We must be too if we want to see the long-term effects of the spirit alive in our life. The second one is this. Like I said, we're going to run through them quick. Is they devoted themselves to the fellowship, which is about the worst possible English word you could use to describe what actually is going on here. Because when we think of fellowship, it's like, we're buddies. We go out for coffee. We do lunch. We talk about the newest Star Wars TV show. I don't know. Like, we have all these, like, slight things that we have in common. But that's about where our relationship ends. Maybe we'll be a little bit honest from time to time if the conditions are just right. But that's not at all what is being described here. The actual like word, the Greek word, which doesn't translate into any English word very well is koinonia. And it captures so much more than just a friendship or acquaintance. And really it's hard to explain. So it probably is actually better to just let scripture define what it is we're talking about, which it does in verses 44 to 46. It says this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So we read, we, we like the first part of this. We're like, oh, we like teaching. We like knowing things. This one, we start to feel a little bit more squirmy, right? Because it's like, I don't know, that sounds an awful lot like communism. And I know we're not supposed to be about that. And so I'm not so sure what to do with all this. And I understand, I understand the tension. But I do think this is one of those examples where, where we're using a human system to try to describe a kingdom value or movement. And church, I'll just be, we got to knock that junk off. We cannot get caught up in that because all it does is it distracts us from what scripture actually tells us to do. What do we actually see here? It's not a, it's not a uh, advocating communism or capitalism or whatever other system that we think that we need to live according to. What do we see? A deep, deep commitment to one another. That's what we see in these people. A commitment that says, whatever the need, we will take care of each other whether it's out of abundance or whether we have nothing, we are committed to each other. This long-term response to the work of the Spirit was a people who shared all of who they were and all of what they had, emotionally, spiritually, their joys and their sorrows, and yes, even their material possessions and resources. That is what this fellowship is describing, this long-term response to the Spirit at work in their life. The third thing that they devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. Verse 46 says, in the day, and day by day, attending the temple together, which was a common gathering place, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Most scholars I read all agreed this is kind of, there's two things going on here. One is they, they literally would get together and they would have meals together. It was an actual uh, commitment 
in that context to share a meal together. It wasn't this like cram the McDonald's down our throat and let's get on to the next thing. Like there was a relational commitment to sitting down and having a meal together. And so that absolutely seems to play into or connect to that deep relationship and commitment that we saw in their devotion to the fellowship already mentioned. But almost everyone also agrees that this also points to a devotion to communion as well. The breaking of the bread, the pouring out of the cup that these people were devoted to remembering what Jesus had done and were committed to looking forward to what he will do. These people understood how absolutely sunk they were without what Jesus had done. And so they took every chance to remember it. And I don't think it's any kind of coincidence that it's connected to the meals that they would share because it appears as often as they got together to eat, they would stop to remember who all this was for and why all this was possible. Their continued response to the move of the Spirit was to remember why they could even be aware of the Spirit at work in their life. The last one is this. It's a devotion to the prayers. Verse 47 says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And there's one small distinction. Well, it's a, I guess it's a big distinction, important distinction that, that we need to recognize here. The ESV and a few other translations, they, they translate it as the prayers. Some other ones just refer to it as prayers. But there does seem to be an emphasis on a little bit more of a structure, which makes us, should draw our minds to more of a corporate setting, where we've all experienced prayer that is just personal between us and God, and that's valuable, and that's important, and that's necessary. But what they're talking about here is, is more of, of worship and prayer that happens in a community, more of a corporate approach to prayer. This was something that they committed themselves to, is to get together with other people to pray and to encounter God. And so what we see here is we see this early church wrap their entire lives around these four things, knowing more about who God is and his heart and his power shown in the world around them, to a real deep relational commitment to each other, to never letting their minds wander far from Jesus' sacrifice and his promise to return again, and this corporate communication that they would have with God. This is what their whole life was wrapped around. And so we're left asking the question, what does this mean for us? What, what does this have to do with us? And as I spent time praying about this and thinking through this, God would not let me get away from this thought. And I kind of wanted him to, and I kept asking him, man, does this have to be it? And maybe Matt will come up here next week and be like, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't listen to him. Like, like this is not where we're headed as a church. But this is what I kept coming to. As I was reading this and thinking about it, I was like, man, why does this sound so familiar? Why do these four things seem so familiar to me? Have I just read this passage a lot? Is that what's going on here? And then something clicked in my mind they seem so familiar because we talked about these a few months ago. These are the exact same practices that we pursue when we pursue intimacy with Jesus. That was dramatic. Yeah, all right. <laughs> these are the exact same things that we pursue when we're pursuing Jesus. What, what do we talk about in our pursuit of intimacy with Jesus? Meditation on God's word, the apostles' teaching. We focused on prayer. There's a corporate sense of prayer here. We focused on giving, 
which was a massive part of this fellowship that we see among these people, this relational commitment. And while fasting isn't expressly put in here, the idea of feasting absolutely is, and breaking the fast was just as much a part of that process as the actual fasting was itself. And as I, as I looked at these two sets of behaviors, and I'm like, why in the world are these so similar? This is what I felt like God was kind of leading me to. There are a lot of us in this church family who have committed ourselves to the pursuit of intimacy with Jesus. And as a result, we've been doing these practices. And as a result, we have been able to hear his voice. We have been able to recognize what he's saying. And we have seen him move. We have become aware of what he's doing like last Sunday here in this very building. And it feels like God's kind of laying this in front of us where he's like, you have responded immediately to my spirit. This is the next step. As much as you have committed yourself to the pursuit of deep, deep relationship with me, your next step as Crosspoint Community Church is to put that same kind of effort into deep, deep relationship with each other. Or maybe it hasn't existed up till now. I'll be really honest with you, that's terrifying to me. It's one thing for me to pursue intimacy with God who will never let me down and who has all kinds of grace with me and a whole nother deal to be accountable to each other, to have to share vulnerably with each other, to have a whole different set of costs that it will bring into my life. And they'll probably let me down and I'll probably let them down and that's hurtful. But it really does feel like for us, it feels like for me anyway, you can decide this for you, that if all I was willing to do is just pursue intimacy with Jesus, just me and him, that would be a great example of immediate response to the spirit and letting go of the continued response to his spirit. I really do believe that this church can look like this. I don't think we need to water it down much either. I think if we are empowered by the Spirit, this church can be like this, where we together have a devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the, the, the power of the Spirit on display in the world around us, that we as this church can be devoted to real fellowship, real relationship with each other. That doesn't happen in this hour. It's just impossible. It happens as we interact with each other outside of this place that we have a devotion to the breaking of bread, whether that's actual meals or whether that's a commitment to put the sacrifice Jesus made in front of us all the time, and we are committed to pray together. I think we can do that. I don't think a few years ago we could have. I think our awareness of the Spirit at work in our lives is one of the huge reasons that we actually can do this moving forward. And I think if we do, we will get to see the end of this passage happen as well, that we will get to see people literally every day come to know Jesus. Who cares if they ever walk in the doors of this church? We'll get to see people come to know Jesus, be added to his family, go from death to life, and become who they were actually created to be. But it will take, on our behalf, I'm convinced, it will take a commitment to the continued long-term response to what the Spirit is doing. We're going to dig into this a little bit more. All right. The, uh, the, first, the first question, what does doing all of these things daily look like in real life? What do all these things daily look like in real life? Yeah. So I, I think that's one of those things that 
I think that will look different for different people, but I think we give ourselves a pass by saying that um, to lessen like the potency of what is being required of us in this. So I think it'd be, it can be easy for us to be like, okay, so say for like the, the fellowship part, um, we read about these people selling everything that they have and giving it to other people. And maybe we are of the, the mindset, hey, I worked hard for what I have and I saved and I made good choices. And so why should I have to like go without or why should I have to give up? And so, and so we, it can be easy for us then to like get to this place where we say, so that's not how it's supposed to look in my life. Um, I'll be generous, you know, as long as I get like a tax kickback and as long as it doesn't like change like how I need to do my life or whatever. Um, and I think that that's like the wrong mindset going in. Uh, I think that, you know, there may, it may look like different for different people, but I think that we need to understand that regardless of how we go through these things, it will cost us. It'll cost us time, maybe resources. It will cost us comfort. It will cost uh, maybe some relationships even to actually like live into these things. And so I'm, I always feel like a little hesitant to just like straight up prescribe. This means that you gather, like fellowship means you gather with your small group once a week because then it's really easy to just check that off. And you don't have to be honest. I've been in small groups a few times in my life where there's zero fellowship, actual fellowship going on. It was something that we were supposed to do because we're a church that values community and so that we do it. Um, but it's one of those things where it was like put out as this is the right thing to do, so I'll do it. And so I do think that this is one of those significant parts, in my mind anyway, of why the, 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 the pouring out of the Spirit had to come before these things started to happen. And that's why I think that we need to make sure that we can hear the Spirit's voice before we ever hope to understand how we actually walk through these different areas that we devote ourselves to. I do think there's a high, high level of discernment there. Um, and honestly, I kind of don't feel like one person on a stage is the person to tell hundreds of people exactly how to do it. Mm. I think that that's like what Matt talked about. I think that's one of those places that like the priesthood of believers, this is something that we can keep each other accountable in, pushing towards and helping to gain clarity in. Um, we got to get rid of that whole mindset of like, one person who went to school will tell me how to do this and instead um, critically think through it ourselves and also trust the people around us who know exactly what our life is like, who might be able to have a really, really good next step, practical next step forward in our lives. And so I'm not trying to like wuss out on that answer, but I do think that that's like a really important part of this. I think if you got a loud enough voice and they're telling you to do the wrong things, you might still end up doing it. So I think this is a really important to hear actually what the Spirit's saying to you in how you go about these things at the same level of potency, I would say. Yeah. I mean, that's what our culture has done our whole lives, right? Is say, hey, like, how much can you collect? How much can you save? How much can you gather in your little castle? And how big of a castle can you get, can you get to put it all in? And I think that I think it's just such like a bigger a bigger conversation and a conversation that I think we're going to have to continue having as a church for as long as it takes for all of us to change our perception of what being the family of God and the community of God actually actually looks like. And I think that's it, going to take a lot of deconstruction of what we view community as. I think what we view family as. I don't think 
the nuclear family is the biblical model of family. But that's a lot of, that's a, that's a lot of Holy Spirit. We need a lot of help. Well, and I, and I really, like I said, I really do think that if two years ago we had been having this conversation, we all would have said, that sounds great. We should be a part of that. And then a month down the road, none of us would be doing it. Maybe not none of us. That's a generalization. But I do think there are way more of us in this room that have begun to learn how to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And so we actually can take this next step because we're doing it in his power. And I think that that's a distinction that we need to keep in mind. So what does it mean when it says all things in common, when we're increasingly disagreeing as a church body and culture? So the, I did a little bit of looking or digging into that when I was doing it. And so that, that term, they had all things in common. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't meant to be read as they, ha- they think the exact same way. It was what they had was common among them. It was available to the entire group, to the entire family. And so they, and again, it goes way beyond just like the, uh, the possessions and the material things. They had in common their victories. They had in common their struggles. They had in common uh, the things they were really excited about and the things that brought them a lot of pain. There was a willingness to put all of that out for the community to be able to wrestle through together. And then, of course, the, the, on the material side, same thing. It wasn't a putting out of emotions or feelings or experiences. It was a putting out of, uh, of what they practically had. And so I do think that, that that gets read as this, like, it would be impossible to do that because we have differing opinions on things, which is fine. The whole rest of the New Testament really highlights that, that we can have different opinions about things, different takes on things, politics, um, preferences, um, jobs, life, whatever. We can have all kinds of like different things among us, but if we have Jesus as the center, we have a commonality. And wow, look at that. Do you just want, we should just pass the microphone over here. (laughs) Principles over personality is what she just said. And that's, that's a great way of saying it. Absolutely. That who we are as fellow believers, brothers and sisters, a part of this family, that is more important than some of the other stuff that we might believe on the side, as long as the, the, the things that are important are kept as the main thing. So on kind of that, that same line of just thinking of materials, how can we put God above all other things when we're dependent on those other things? Ooh, that's a, okay. That's a really excellent question. And I want to say this gently. I think that it does actually really just come down to like a matter of value. Like that question, honest, I agree. Our felt experience is we are dependent on the money we earn, the house that we have, the car that we drive, maybe even like the people that are around us. But there's this really, really clear line that runs through the entire human experience as it relates to God that we are supposed to be dependent on him, and that's it. Now, practically, we find ourselves dependent on things, but if all those went away, it seems like the story of Scripture is that we would be fine because we're dependent on him. Now, I understand that is an easy thing to say and a much, much more difficult thing to live out, but I can't get to any other answer other than that. 
that, that it seems like the call of a, of a follower of Jesus is complete dependence on him. So if I have a million dollars in my bank account, great. And if I have zero, great. If I have an awesome house over my head, great. Use it, man. Use our resource to make sure that other people get a clear picture of who God is. And if I'm living out on the corner over here, fine. Because if I have Jesus, that is enough. And I know it's really easy. Maybe you're sitting there, you're like, yeah, sure, great, great, uh, great advice, but no one in the world's gonna take that. People around the world do take, like they will accept that truth. And I do think that something maybe we in our part of the world, it's a little bit harder to swallow, but we need to. Because we have a ton of resource that could be used for incredible things for the kingdom because we have it, because of where we live. And again, that's a generalization, I understand that. But if our dependence was completely on Jesus and we have a pretty nice bank account, think about all that that could do to show who Jesus is to a world who so desperately needs him. So, I mean, that would be my answer. It's a hard one. I yeah. don't think, it's something we're gonna continue to be pursuing as we, as we walk forward, I think, for sure. And I, and I think that just goes back to, are we earnestly praying for like, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us God's will? Because God's will not only has to do with what we do with ourselves and our actions, but what we do with our stuff. Um, and and I, I would say for some of us, that's easier on one side or the other. I, I think that I, I guess we could put this to the test and we'll find out if I believe this. I think, I think it'd be easier for me to give up stuff I have as opposed to give up more of who I am to another person. Mm. Um, and I think depending on who we are in the room and maybe what your personality is made up to be, um, you might fall on one side or the other. You might be like, yeah, let's give it all away and let's just live dependent on, e uh, like interconnected with each other and, and we'll take care of each other. That sounds great, but I will never, ever let someone see the darker side of who I am because my image is too important or my status is too important or whatever. And so it's easy to pick on one side or the other, but I think the reality is what's being communicated in this passage is an openness with all of it. And we gotta embrace an openness with all of it. Yeah. So Kyle, how can you develop a relationship with Jesus? We're always asking Jesus for things and help, but how can you grow your relationship beyond the act of taking? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great question. I think that's something that Jesus has been doing in our midst. And I think a lot of it has come down to a willingness to sit and listen rather than talk. I know it's been true for me anyway. Um, you know, growing up, I grew up around the church, in the church. Um, I knew a lot of the church jargon and lingo. I knew how to shine it up to make it appear like ultra spiritual and stuff like that. But until pretty recently, a lot of my life was just talking at God, not even to God, just at God. And I have put a rhythm of listening into my time that I'm spending with God, and it has paid like massive dividends, like huge, huge impact. Um, and it seems like a really, really simple thing, but I don't know, it was, it's hard to sit there in silence and just be like, God, I want, I want to hear from you. And constantly like capturing my thoughts and like refocusing them back to what I'm doing. Um, but I think that has been probably, if not the most, definitely one of the most impactful things that I've put into my life to help develop an actual relationship with Jesus so that I'm not coming to him every time money's tight asking for something or every time a hard situation happens and asking him to get me out of it. Instead, it's this willingness to listen and let him 
be a part of the conversation. I really do think, uh, even though it's simple, that's a huge, huge part of what we need to do. Will, will you just say, kind of give one, one final note either to, there's, there's a question here specifically for young people transitioning into adulthood. How do we encourage them to continue pursuing Jesus? But sounds, like, sounds like a question you should answer. There's, the there's young adult. another, <laughs> I don't get them for two more weeks. Uh, <laughs> But, but there's, a, there's another question just talking about how do we stay focused on Jesus in an instant gratification culture? And I think those are similar because I think we can look back to a Sunday like last Sunday that, I, I mean, I would say there was, I had a spiritual high from last Sunday. It was like a camp experience on a Sunday morning. And now we're a week later. That feels like it was a month ago. You know, where, where is my heart at today? Like, how, how do you just stay more, more level up here with with those, we, can we end on that? Okay. Couple thoughts. Hopefully, I won't have to ever come back up here and be like, "No, that was wrong. I shouldn't have said that." But I have I have a couple thoughts. One is um, when we see the Spirit at work in power in our lives on the regular. Moments like last Sunday, while still impactful and still exciting, don't feel so foreign to us. I think that's part of it. I, I, I say that because I've seen that growing in our students, um, which, man, God's doing some really cool things in our church, and he is also running parallel with that group of teenagers. It is exciting stuff. And what I am seeing is, honestly, we're going to camp in a week, and I'm like, I'm not sure what to do because I think a bunch of these kids are going to come back from camp without the camp high. Because what they've been experiencing week after week after week and what they're doing in between Wednesday to Wednesday in their own life and in their own community, like they are actually hearing God's voice regularly. They are actually obeying him regularly. They are responding to what the Spirit is doing in their life regularly. And I know that's happening uh, as a broader church as well. But then they're going to go to a week where they get an opportunity to worship God in a little bit of a different setting, a little more focused environment, and, and there's, uh, you know, not the distractions that exist here. And what's been cool is as we've done that, we've had moments like that, I keep hearing the same uh, sentiment back as they're like, I don't feel like heavily emotional at this moment. It doesn't feel like I'm ping-ponging up and down in my life. It feels like a steady trajectory toward the likeness of Jesus. And I think a big part of that is because they're hearing his voice regularly. So it doesn't feel like something that's just coming out of left field. It's something that's a regular part of their life. And so I think that while we absolutely need to celebrate every time we see the Spirit move in power, because that's in, in the book of Acts, we see lots of moments like that. But we also see a lot of moments in between where people continued in their obedience. And that's why I think even what we looked at today is so significant is this is the nitty gritty of like long-term obedience and long-term response to what the Spirit says. And it's not always pretty. And I'm sure it was very costly for these people, but God is using it literally to bring people into his family every single day in that example. And I think that that absolutely can be true of us as well. Uh, first question, Kyle. How did you give an entire sermon on fellowship and reference Star Wars and not Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Listen, man, some things are just too on the nose. I mean, it's too basic, all right? I, like, I gotta... think you missed an awesome example. I... These, these guys banded together over a common cause. Let's pretend it was Jesus. And then they lived together 
All of their belongings were shared. Like I, Except for the ring. They didn't want to share that very much. That was like a pretty major plot point. Uh, so they didn't share Satan. <laughs> Here's the deal, man. I grew Gosh. up in youth group. I've heard way too many sermons wrapped around Fellowship of the Ring, okay? I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't yeah, do it. Yeah, well, we're all going to be saying that about Star Wars in like three weeks. Yeah, that's true. So, Kyle, how do you balance church community, unchurched community, and your family? Because that seems like a lot. Goodness. Start with the easy question, man. Um, I believe that oftentimes in our lives, we compartmentalize things that don't need to be compartmentalized. And what I mean by that is, it's exactly what that question asked, and, and I think about it the same way often as well. I got my section of Christian friends and my section of non-Christian friends and my section of family, and they don't ever really touch um, I think that that's probably problematic. Um, I think that there probably needs to be a world where our ability to hear the Spirit and what he's saying, our willingness to obey what he's saying, needs to then cover over all aspects of our life. And so, and I think that ultimately, who, who better to trust on energy management than the voice of the Holy Spirit, Right? Like, who better to trust in to make sure that I'm giving the attention that each one of those categories of people needs in my life than the Holy Spirit? Um, rather than just saying, like, oh, I made up a schedule, and from 5 to 8, it's family time, and from 8.30 to 10.30, it's, like, evangelism time, and uh, on Sunday mornings, from 9 to whatever, 10.30 is Christian time, um, I think when we do that, we probably undercut opportunity, is what I'm saying. And as far as like the family things goes, man, I don't think there's anything better that we can do as moms and dads as include each other and our kids in the mission that God has called us to. Um, I get that there's a lot of horror stories of people who are like, oh, the ministry took my parents away from me. I, I think that's probably more on the parents than the ministry or, or, or Jesus' call in our life. But there's something really compelling. Every time that, that I do ministry with my kids, which doesn't always look like coming here to serve or, or going out and specifically talking about Jesus, but like the opportunities to share who Jesus is with the people around me, when I include my kids in that, it is awesome. And they don't feel left out. Um, they feel like inspired to continue to do it. And so I think probably, it, I guess that's a long, long answer just to say, I think we would, it would serve us well to stop compartmentalizing different parts of our life and instead recognize and respond to what the Spirit is saying in each of them, which requires us to really take the time to listen and learn how to hear his voice. I, I think that that is like the question that I think we need to be like praying through as we like navigate this because that is going to look a little different for all of us but but if we can't figure that out then i i think we've we've completely missed everything that we're going to be talking about as we go through acts absolutely and i do think there is like you said i do think it, this might look a little different for different people but i think one of the things we got to be careful of is we shouldn't try to water it down to fit like what we're already doing I think it will look different for different people, but the potency level of what we read in Acts chapter two, it stays the same. Like, like an example is like, okay, we read that passage where they sold everything and gave, gave everything to each other and we're like, that's like hippie commune stuff. Like, I don't, I, I'm not gonna do that with my life. Yeah. It's like, 
maybe you shouldn't. There's a lot of other churches in the New Testament that didn't do exactly that. But in that context, it made a ton of sense because all these people who were new to their faith were from different places. They were all visiting Jerusalem for these festivals. So there's no Christian church to go back to. They're, they didn't have enough to stay there long-term. So of course, the Spirit would lead these people to share with each other to make sure they were all good. And so, yeah, I, I think we need to be willing to be radical, but recognize it might look a little bit different for each and every one of us. So on a similar note, the next question is, how do I justify what I own when there is clear need? Even after tithe, I struggle having relative abundance uh, when reading these verses, referring to Acts. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something I know that, especially like in college days, <laughs> when ironically, I think I had the least amount I ever had, <laughs> I felt like, man, I just, there's too much. Like, like I I just have too much comfort and too much stuff. And I think what it comes down to, I don't know if we need to feel guilty about what we have. I think we need to think critically about how we're using what we have. Like, I can't help but get my head around, man, a bunch of North American Christians, this is a generalization, understand, but who more, more than likely have abundance. Like if we used what we had for the benefit of the kingdom, even if that's not giving the entire bank account away, but if, you, if we use what we have, our influence, our power, our money, our, our resources, our position, whatever, if we use that to further the kingdom, man, I feel like a lot could get done really quickly. But I think we get so tempted to just funnel all that stuff back inward to make our life a little bit easier. And so I would say, man, if you have a lot, great, you have more opportunity. And also, if you have nothing, you still have a lot of opportunity. Um, it's just a, it's a shift in our perspective, I think, really. Yeah, I think, I think as we pray through that, the Holy Spirit will absolutely give us ways that we can give. And, and he may, like you said, change our perspective on our perception of nothing and whether or not we actually have nothing to give others. All right, the, and, I, and I feel like this is like an awesome, an, an awesome, maybe even final question. We'll, we'll see. But what are some practical ways that we can start taking steps to live in community uh, the type of community that the passage describes. Yeah, that's again such a good, such a good question. That is a hard one for us to live out because of, I think, where we are in time and space, like location. Um, because we exist in a church family that has quite a few people in it, and I said it, I said it during the message. Like, we can't. I don't think we can actually embrace like the this real version of fellowship if we all tried to do it at the same time. I think there are things that we can do as a larger group that start to tap into this. To be quite honest, what Matt did this morning is an excellent example of that, where we gathered around people that maybe we knew or that we didn't to encourage and to pray for each other. But I do think that it would be very valuable to us to recognize this probably does need to be on a little bit of a smaller scale situation. Um, I don't think that's impossible. They had like 3,000 people join the church in one day back then. Um, but almost certainly the day-by-day the, the -day living among each other, that real fellowship, that was done like in smaller, uh, smaller contexts. Um, I also think that, this is, I'll just say this for myself and you can decide if it applies to you or not. I think we gotta stop leaning on our excuses as to why we're not. This is not confusing. It's not tricky. I just have a lot of reasons why I shouldn't do it, right? 
Yeah. Um, it's costly, and it's not easy to live out, but it's not difficult to understand. And so I know for me, it's just, it's a matter of if Jesus is worth it, I need to push past whatever it is that's hanging me up in it. If, if it's just the awkwardness, so what? <laughs> if it's the time, we got time. Um, the value that I'm discovering of actual real fellowship far outweighs whatever excuses I have right here and right now. And so I do think there is a little bit of like, I don't say this to be mean, it's a little bit of like, we gotta grow up and recognize this is really good for us, so we gotta do this. And, and, and we won't be the church God wants us to be if we don't. I really don't think so. I think Sundays like last Sunday will fade into obscurity if we don't commit ourselves to these long-term responses. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fellowship community. I, and honestly, I think there's some really low-hanging fruit here. What, one of the things that, for whatever reason, I, I feel like God has kind of put on my heart in the last just like month is, is even here in service on Sunday mornings, I've, I've kind of been just looking around and paying attention to, I apologize if this is awkward, but, but paying attention to the people that sit by themselves or as a, as a couple. Um, don't look around now. And it's not, and this is not saying anything about that as a whole, but, but I think what it, it's reflective of the way we as a, as a church approach community. We, we don't value I don't, maybe this is too harsh and Matt will have to rebuke me next week and say, yeah. I'm the dumb one. But, Matt isn't but known I, for being harsh or at all. Because so, that's yeah. something that Matt does on a regular <laughs> basis. But, but I, I think, I, I would say, frankly, we don't have a, a big enough value on even worshiping together. Like we like to be in the same room as people, but we don't necessarily want to like sit next to them or, or I, I, I don't know. That's just, a, it's a tension on my heart and I'm, I'm kind of, trying to like pray through it a little bit. But as I look around, I see a bunch of people that sit by themselves and we wave and say hi and then we leave and we, we go about our week. And I think even if on Sundays we made it a point, we're gonna, we're gonna be together, not just some pleasantries before and after service. Like I think that's some really low hanging fruit to stepping into community because now we're, we're intentionally just bumping into people in a more real way. And, and, and we already are here on Sundays, we already are in the same room. Like that's, I, I think that's a really small thing that creates really big connections. And when new people do come to our church, now someone actually wants to sit with them. And now they're experiencing the family of God alongside a, a worship service, which, which I think goes and a super long way. We're a pretty big pool to get to draw from. Like, it's not like you have to go walk the street and be like, I'm gonna knock on this door and be like, hey, you wanna come over to my house and have dinner with me and develop deep, deep koinonia fellowship with me? You know, it's like, that's not what you have to do. Like, we have a bunch of people here. We just gotta be intentional to do it and push past some of those hurdles, I think. Do you wanna keep going or do you wanna end there? Uh, let's do one more. If it's a good one. <laughs> uh, or not. <laughs> do, do you think that we consistently don't experience the spirit because we really don't live with and submit to each other? If so, how can we change that? Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or, or how do we help newly baptized believers to see baptism not as a graduation? See, I, oh I, I thought the other okay. one was better. All right. I gave you the option. Read the first one again real quick. Uh, I would... Do you think that we consistently don't experience the spirit because we don't really live with and submit to each other? Okay, 
here's how I would answer that, and, and we, can, we can end with this. I think one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit, that movement of the Holy Spirit feels so crazy and foreign to us is in part because we are unwilling to do the, the, the long-term responses to the Spirit that so much of that rests within like community and submission to each other. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Like, like, if, like moments at camp or Sundays like last Sunday, they feel like so crazy because we're not experiencing, and I think some of this is changing as we move forward, but we're not experiencing that constant voice and we're not submitting to the constant work of the Spirit. And I think what would be a really, really cool thing one day, and I see it happening, especially like in some of our younger people, the spiritual high moments aren't really that high and the drop-off isn't really that low. Um, instead, what they're experiencing is they recognize the, the Spirit speaking to them. And so their emotions aren't all over the place. There's just a deep-seated, peace-filled recognition. This is what God's saying. And so instead of their whole life being like this, which is how I think some of us think of the Holy Spirit, instead it's just a gradual trend upward of growing more and more into the likeness of Jesus because they recognize his voice. And I think it'd be a really cool day that sometime in the future we have a Sunday like last Sunday and we walk out of this room being like, yep, <laughs> unsurprised. Just another week. This is what God does. And not maybe not, you know, it's not like it has to be one big service with all the baptism and stuff, but just a recognition like we are aware of the spirit working. We're behind it and we are willing to be obedient to whatever he says moving forward. And I think that that absolutely can happen. And I, I think that's where God's leading us, but we gotta be willing to step into these long-term responses. And a lot of that I think has to do with our relationship with each other. I think that's what's next for us. Yeah. Cool. You wanna pray for us and then yep. uh, we'll get out of here? Yeah, thank you so much everyone that submitted questions. Sorry, there's a bunch of really good questions that we didn't, we didn't get to, but um, Father, we just thank you for today. We, we thank you for this, this chance to be together as a church family, Lord, and we thank you that you're calling us to, to grow as a family. Lord, we read uh, the book of Acts, and there's so many things in there that are inspiring and exciting and encouraging, Lord, but, but we need your help to, to get there. We need your help to grow into the community that you've designed us to be. We need the eyes to even see the opportunities that are around us. So, Lord, even this week, I, I ask for your, your spirit to be speaking clearly to us, that we'd see the opportunities to maybe have an intentional conversation or just be a, a kind friend to a neighbor or a, a church family member or, or whoever, Lord, that we would just be attentive to the opportunities to love people the way you love them. Lord, that we would have our perspective shift with our, our stuff a little bit, that it would be a little bit less about us and a little bit more about giving to your kingdom. Lord, we just are so appreciative of the work that you're doing in us and in our church and in our hearts. Uh, but we anticipate the, the future. We anticipate what you're going to do as well. So Lord, we thank you for your patience with us and your, your faithfulness to lead us. And we look forward to, to the, the future, just as Travis mentioned this morning, the incredible future we have as members of your family. Father, we love you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.